0: Yeah. So, um, I guess, uh, over the last three years or so, um, I guess even to back up, you guys are going to edit this, right?
1: No, absolutely not. Okay,
0: okay. So, um... (laughs)
2: Hey, everyone. Alex from Collective Creamery here with another episode of the podcast. We have a really special interview to get to. But first, I want to mention a couple little timely pieces of news that we have going on here at Collective Creamery. First of all, our fall and winter subscription starts next week. The first pickups are October 18th. So if you're either in the Philly area and want to pick up your cheese, or if you're kind of in the greater mid-Atlantic and want to get cheese shipped to you and just get an amazing delivery uh, every two weeks or every month of our curated artisan cheeses, please sign up. You can do that at collectivecreamery.com. You pretty much have till the end of the weekend to do that. And then we'll be selling prorated shares after that. So please do check it out if you want to have more cheese in your life. The other really important thing that we wanted to share with you is that the cheese ball is back? Uh, this is Madame Fromage, our good friend Tania Darlington's epic every two year cheese party. Uh, she rents out this, you know, two floors of the space in Philadelphia. And in addition to breads and condiments and other dairy goodies and wheels from our favorite cheesemakers and mongers in the area. Every guest is required to bring their own wedge of cheese to put on the big board. We basically build a huge cheese board and slowly destroy it throughout the evening tasting all of these different kinds of cheeses in one place. There is dancing and drinks and always some fun surprises. This year, uh, there's going to be a live band, one of our favorite Pennsylvania farmers, Ben Wank. Uh, He's bringing his band Chuck Darwin and the Knuckle Draggers. And our crew, uh, the Collective Creamery Dames, are going to build a giant cheese tower. So we are going to do that. You can find out more info about the Cheese Ball, which is November 10th this year. Uh, Tickets are $20 plus your wedge of cheese. Um, Get more info and get your tickets at madamefromageblog.com. Now, today's interview was one of the ones that we were the most excited to do when we were chasing down all of our, you know, cheese icons and favorites at ACS over the summer in Pittsburgh. And this is the last interview from those sessions, Uh, and it's one that we are so excited to share with you because this woman is just amazing. Kate Turcott is a really amazing cheesemaker in her own right. She was the head cheesemaker at Shelburne Farms, turning out that cheddar for several years uh, in Shelburne, Vermont. But recently, she's uh, sort of come to represent this really exciting new chapter for a really venerable, small, but a hugely impactful cheese making operation in Vermont, uh Orb Weaver Farm. If you know anything about the history of domestic artisan cheesemaking or Vermont cheesemaking, you know that Or Weaver um, is this tiny dairy, uh, I think it's something like seven cows, nine cows that they're milking, run by these two amazing women ever since the 70s. And now that they're ready to retire, they're the only people who have made this cheese. They ate it kind of were thinking, like, what are we going to do? Are we just going to end this farm? And luckily, they hooked up with Kate and her husband, Zach, who also works in dairy. Uh, And those two are going to be taking over from the orb weaver ladies starting this winter. Um, So, you know, no hands besides theirs have ever made orb weaver cheese, but this winter, Kate and Zach are going to start. And it was so exciting to talk with her about that transition um, and what she's excited for stewarding this iconic Vermont. She's making operation into its next chapter. So, without further ado, here is Kate Turcott. <music>
0: I, I, I'm not supposed to pipe in yet, right? I was going to say, I'm, I'm like your biggest fan, too. Like, I, I mean, and, and, and like, I mean, I am like the podcast's biggest fan.
3: I, I love, I get random emails from you, and it makes me so happy because then I, I disperse the info to everybody else, and it's so perfect. It comes at the most opportune moments, let me tell you, Kate. Um, yeah, it's so great to have you here. You know, Kate Turkat has been the head cheesemaker at Shelburne Farm which is just the, one of the most beautiful pieces of property in all of Vermont on Lake Champlain. I love going there and seeing the brown Swiss cows and the truck pulls up. And you know what's amazing is when you find out how many pounds of milk you have is when they put the little piece of paper in the window for the cheese maker. <laughs> you know, what... How much did they produce that day? And then whoever's hauling the milk over to the cheese house has it written, the poundage written on a piece of paper and they hold it up to the window. I think that's (laughs) amazing. We've done that for years. And then you're like calculating. Yeah. Calculating cultures. Like how much milk has arrived. Yeah. So if the cows have produced a little bit extra or let's say, you know, it was super hot, they might be down a little bit in production. Mm. So it might within it's probably not that much of a difference on a daily basis but I was there one day and I saw that and we were just like look at that there's the poundage coming in so um, Kate I want to know how did you get into cheese making
0: well actually that's how I started in at Shelburne Farms was hauling milk so I grew up working on a small vegetable farm in Maine and I um, And so, uh, you know, was learned how to drive a tractor. And so that's what they wanted. They wanted someone that could drive the tractor from the dairy to the cheese room. And so I did that for like five days a week and then very soon afterwards, um, you know as usual someone left and so they were like hey can you just come in and wash these things and then like one thing led to another and like nine years later I was still there kind of thing and in my in my mind that's how it happened but
3: that's an amazing resource for them because you know everything about the business yeah. of making cheese yeah so I I mean I
0: definitely went into the job not necessarily wanting to make cheese it was just you know like I was I was actually a, uh, a student at, Uh, the University of Vermont studying agriculture and I just need a summer job and I think at the time I was just like oh this will be an interesting thing to say that I did you know it's like I did this you know so I really just thought it was going to be a three-month job and in all honesty I didn't like it at all when I first started it was just like being inside all the time and just like all the cleaning like all of like the negative things about cheese making and I definitely was like very um Really ready for the summer to be done so I could stop being a cheesemaker at Shelburne Farms but then i think <laughs> and then yeah yeah i know whoops but i i think um like like anything else you kind of um it's like the tasks of the job weren't very exciting but then once you start to get to understand what's actually happening i became more and more of just interested in um like what cheese making was and the science of cheese making and you know ended up really even at UVM the university of vermont like turning like turning my education into cheese education and every project that I had like my senior thesis was about I really just like once I kind of understood what was going on it was just like this whole new world for me and I'll say like while while I was at ACS um sorry 2007 ACS was in Burlington and then so that was the first year that um I was a cheesemaker there and that was huge for me you know to like be um Just like, you know, a couple months into cheese making and seeing all the different people that were coming through and just like like, the
3: big names. Yeah. Yeah. And I
0: think not even knowing who these big names were, but just seeing all these different types of people. I remember like there'd be someone in a suit and someone with just like a bunch of tattoos and like just kind of like, wow, these people are
3: cool. I went, that was my first conference as well. And oh, remember, really? they had the tent set up in the parking lot? Yeah. Because it, the facility really wasn't big enough to host everybody at ACS. And I went to meet the cheesemaker, and there were maybe like 25 people in there, mm-hmm. maybe more. And it was the first time I had so many of the cheeses that we know so well today. Yeah. But can you imagine? burlington it'll never go back there again I know, because of the size i
0: know i know and it really i mean like it was the the festival of cheese was at shelburne farms in the breeding barn which is like this huge historic barn I mean, we are talking like um you know versus these convention centers now that are kind of sterile there was there's no floor it's a dirt floor it's a barn and that's where they had the festival of cheese it
3: was beautiful it was yeah. hot as heck that night yeah I remember I was just it was just so hot and so beautiful because I had never been on the grounds of that property before. And then to see the architecture of Shelburne Farms it's just so amazing. Yeah, you know, can you tell us a little bit about the family? That yeah, so so Shelburne Farms is
0: um was a Vanderbilt property essentially. You know, it was um they uh, back in like the mid eighteen hundreds they were looking to build a summer house slash model farm, and so really just you know spent all of their money making like the best um you know building the best barns, the best homes, and everything. But um very quickly because they built the best, they ran out of money. Um, and uh, so over the years, they kind of struggled to maintain the property. The, they did have a, a dairy farm. They, uh, I think they brought, brought Swiss cows in like the 1920s or something like that. Yeah, they had Swiss cows since the beginning then. Yeah, yeah. They were like one of the first. But I mean, over the years, they were just trying to figure out a way to um, maintain the property. Um, and eventually, in like the 60s and 70s, they decided to turn it into an educational nonprofit to be able to, um, you know, promote sustainability, uh, promote agriculture agriculture, you know, like kind of the beginning of the farm-to-table movement. But today, the Shelburne Farms, there's a lot going on. I mean, there's uh, kids that come in for field trips, for summer camps. A lot of teachers come in for education, you know, sort of like teach the educator on how to teach people about sustainability, cheese making. There's a restaurant. The Vermont Cheesemakers Festival is there every single year. Yeah. So.
3: so what was it like, you know, making cheddar day in and day out? What was your role? What was – when you went into the cheese room – how did you move up? Yeah. So I, for, for five years, I was a
0: cheese maker there. And I mean, making cheddar at Shelburne farms is seven days a week. You make the same cheese every single day, which I actually feel like was a really great foundation to my cheese education because you just get that feedback. It's like every single day was like an opportunity to learn. And so the only real challenge I feel like of that is that you don't get your feedback really Quickly, it right. takes a little while to do that. So it helped that I was there for nine years <laughs> to be able to kind of like see the you know the end results. But um, I mean, basically, it's like from either you're hauling the milk, so you're bringing it from the dairy to the cheese room, or you're receiving the milk, and it's you know from start to finish. Like cheddar's a longer day compared to other cheeses. You know, it's like a nine hour make day from start to finish, and so it's very um uh, uh just. You know, like labor intensive. I mean, everyone kind of has like, you know, stories about cheddar. And I mean, a lot of the former cheddar makers are hunched over and, you know, uh, it's it's definitely pretty labor intensive.
2: Just a quick note for the non-industry folk out there. When you're making cheddar, you're, you have this super long, giant, like low vat and you're just constantly picking up. And stacking and picking up and stacking, like, giant blocks of cheese on top of each other, chopping them up, chopping them up. So that's just um, – cheese uh, making at a next level of, like, arduousness, but the result is really delicious.
0: Yeah. And then it's just, like, the moving of the 40-pound blocks. I mean, I think it's, like, a showroom we say we pick up and put down a block of cheese from when it's made to when it's sold 18 times. And so, yeah. But it's <laughs> –
1: it's like a lot of cheesemaking. Can you talk to us a little bit about your um, sort of transformation from milk hauler to cheesemaker, and what it is that really grabs you about cheesemaking that is encouraging, motivating, inspiring you to continue on in the industry? Yeah, so
0: I think um, the from milk hauler to cheesemaker was a little bit like not inspiring, and in that like I was in college, I needed a job, you know. But then, like I said, it kind of just became, I became very interested in it. But then I think it's like 10 years ago, there was no such thing, I feel like, as being a career cheesemaker. So I think I even was like, this is a job I'm going to do now, but eventually I need to grow up and I need to get a real job. Um, But then I think I just kind of, I was surprised. I, you know, was at Shelburne Farms for five years and then I went to consider Bardwell for a couple of years and I was a cheesemaker there. And I think just like one thing led to another and... The industry has grown since I've been in here, and so I think that there's been a lot of opportunity for cheesemakers to have really great careers. Um, and I think, I think what kept me here, honestly, is I mean, the curiosity of just. Um, cheesemaking, but then also the community. I mean, I have really great friends within the community. Like some of my best friends are cheesemakers. And I think it's just like, it's like when it's like the people that you hang out with all the time. I mean, we have a, we have a group and we get together, we call ourselves the coagulum and
1: uh... is this one inspired <laughs> rennet rough riders. <laughs> oh, this is all coming together for me now. Yeah. So you're the coagulum and the <laughs> Philly cheesemakers, Southeastern PA cheesemakers were jealous. And so we developed the rennet rough rider. I know,
0: and it's like everyone thought it was an exclusive club, but it's not at all. You know,
3: I, I was told I was too old to be in it, so that's when I was like, when I saw you guys out sledding on Instagram, I told Rachel from Parish Hill, I was like, did you see the coagulum? Those kids up there sledding, you wanted to go so badly, and she's like, you can't go. You're just too old. And I was like, no.
0: <laughs> well, and that's not true. And you yeah. know that, yeah. <laughs>
3: I do, I do, I do. Yeah. I
0: do, But yeah, I mean, basically it's just, I mean, like, and we, we, we call ourselves a name, but really it's just all of our friends and we just get together and we just like, I mean, it's kind of like the festival of cheese, but just with like a smaller group.
3: I feel like you have a really great community. Those cheesemakers, I've met many of them and they're inspiring and fun and thoughtful and forward thinking and really concerned about small farms as well. Yeah, too. I mean, <laughs> this is something
0: that's just like, it's like, if if your friend group of this is just something you're talking about all the time, which like, I mean, really, some of my, my, my best friends are cheesemakers and stuff. So I think that that's how I stayed. And then I also met my husband, you know, he um uh, was delivering milk cans in um, in the morning from a local dairy farm. So I think it's just like one, you know, it was never really a conscious decision. It was just like, just one thing led to another. And I mean, I definitely would not, uh you know, want it any other way. So
3: what were so would you just say the long days were the hardest part of the cheddar making at Shelburne? Was it this change in FSMA and food safety? Um, what do you think the most challenging things were of um, being the head cheesemaker there? Um, I would say, I would say probably just going back to like
0: not getting the feedback really quickly, you know. So yeah, yeah, just like just like the sheer amount of time. I've definitely been one of the few people that has embraced FSMA. I think even before it was. Um, before it was even mandated, I saw when I took over management of Shelburne, it was a way to create systems in a yes. in a you know and then a management structure and be proactive versus just constantly reactive. And so I I kind of gravitated towards that really quickly, of just being like you know what like this is like and it's also like rec- it's like documentation, which is really great for just like record keeping and like making decisions. It's just like it's like tracking changes and tracking your quality is so key and food safety goes right along with quality like you can't have one without the other
1: it, when you're somebody who appreciates sufficiency um it it is a natural uh fit and as somebody said i think it was peter dixon actually who first said this to me it's gonna make you a better cheesemaker, mm-hmm. yeah because it's about consistency yeah and cheese really benefits from consistency Completely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I definitely, I mean, I, 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 I'm now at the point of like thinking about having to scale down a food safety plan for a smaller operation and that's a challenge, but it's like, but I think that at the same time, I'm, um, there's a
3: lot of really great things that can be adapted towards any operation of any size. Since you've talked about smaller size operation, I am just so most excited about what's next for you, Kate. Um, you want to talk about the next step for you and let our listeners in on your new world back 10 years ago when I first started Shelburne Farms and I said I was um,
0: uh, didn't like being inside the head cheesemaker at the time was like you should meet Marjorie and marion of Orb Weaver they do this really great thing where they make cheese in the winter time and they grow vegetables in the summer and I was like oh my gosh that sounds amazing so I like got in a car and I went down and I visited them that long ago? yeah yeah and, and I just I basically was just like I just wanted to see it for myself kind of thing and so I've known them uh, Marjorie and marion for a you know fairly long time but, you know, just kind of acquaintance, like, friendship of, like, the cheesemaker community and stuff like that. But it was about, like, maybe two and a half years ago that um, Zach, my husband, and I wrote them a letter kind of saying that we would be honored to carry on their legacy. <laughs> and, so did you do that cold? Like, like you, you had a relationship <laughs> with them? Like, were, had you talked about this at all? Like, how did that go? So it was kind of cold. We um, we had written Marjorie. She had just had hip surgery. She wrote her card just being like, get well. And she was like, come to dinner. And there was all these, like, things that they were kind of implying, you know. We were like, but, like, you know, when you're first, like, you know, it's like you're first, like, dating someone and they'll say something. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. They said, you know, what are you doing next week? They probably want to marry me. Yeah. does that mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, we, were, we were definitely stretching it. It was like, I, I feel like we definitely went out we put ourselves out there when we wrote the letter for sure but I think that we also um, I mean they weren't planning on selling the farm and I think it was also like we only had one shot you know this was like kind of it because we don't Come for money, we're people who um, have been working in these careers our whole lives as like farmers and cheesemakers. So, you know, we haven't made a lot of money. So I think we just did it and we went out there. So, and they initially said like kind of like the yes, no, they circled maybe on the the little sheet of paper as like whether they wanted to spend the rest of their lives with us. Um, But, uh, and so, but, but basically they're like, maybe we, we, we didn't think we wanted to sell the business, but well, let's get to know one another. And so over the next year, we got together every month and we had dinner and we like called our dating phase. We just like, you know, didn't talk about the farm at all. We just talked about our lives and everything. And so, and then a a year later was when they said they were interested in uh, selling us the farm and the business. And so that's been the process that we've been in now. Um, We are going to start production in the fall. And I mean, our whole entire, like our, our kind of pitch to them was that we want to, like I said, carry on their legacy and carry on the cheese that they've made, which is a cheese that you'll never see at ACS or you've never seen at ACS because they only distribute it locally. They hand deliver all the cheese themselves. It's like a very, very small scale production because they um, have always wanted to do themselves. No one's ever made a batch of Orb Weaver other than them, like no one. So um, it's, um, I mean, we're going to have to do things a little bit differently, but we're going to try to maintain the quality I just I
2: yeah I want to know what you feel about that I mean you've obviously slotted yourself into several different businesses before but like what what does it feel like to be taking over uh, I think any cheese that a a cheesemaker makes is like very personal and this is like the most personal cheese that is out there like how does
0: that feel for for you guys to be getting ready to to embark on it feels intimidating (laughs) it definitely feels intimidating and I think um but I think that that's like uh we have to be very conscious of the uh, the, how Marjorie and Marion feel about this farm and the cows and their cheese is their identity. I mean, like Marjorie said, she was like, if I'm not an orb weaver, what am I? You know, it's just like, you know, it's just like, because it's like, that's, who, they, they, they built this from, they had nothing when they started, they built everything. And it's like, you know, it's like, it's their legacy. And so I think just being really, um, you know, conscious of, of that, you know, and, um, but I think that that's why we had to, it's not like we just, someone put a, you know, orb weaver farm for sale on, you know, an ad and, you know, we're looking for a buyer. It was a relationship building process. And so I think that we've done a lot of work to kind of make sure that we um, maintain the things that they want to see in the business. Uh, But at the same time, I think that they know that we are going to have to do things differently. And I think they're excited too. They're like, they've never made another cheese before. So I think they're excited to try other cheeses and all that.
3: So. Kate, can you put in context for the listeners, you know, some history about Orb Weaver because they're pretty iconic in in Vermont. I mean, I remember learning about them through Peter Dixon, their whole story, you know, the first cave, the cheesemaking. I mean, they've started the Renaissance, really, in Vermont, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, they
0: were, I think it was Shelburne Farms and Orb Weaver started in the same year. So I think it was like 1982. And really there was no artisanal cheese in Vermont. I think everyone has this image that Vermont has always been just kind of this haven of small scale cheesemaking, but there really wasn't anyone at the time and so they started at a time when there was you know no one was there was no dairy inspector you know so basically your farm inspector came to like you know inspect your creamery there was no commercial cultures they had to make all their own cultures you know because there was was no way to buy like direct set cultures um and really they had just had to learn everything on their own and i think also too it's like you know vermont we think of as pretty progressive but it's like i mean conservative dairy community they were just like like two you know like female pioneers in the dairy industry not even just in the cheesemaking industry and so um and they you know sold fluid milk for a while to be able to build cash to to be able to build cash to be able to uh, make the uh to build a cheesemaking room and but i think that um yeah they people really look to them as like the original like vermont cheesemakers
1: how is it? So we're here at the American Cheese Society Conference talking a lot about scale. It's something that we talked about offline just, bef- just before we started, just before we hit the record button. And um, I want to go back to that because that's a really juicy topic right now. How is it that a farm like O'R Weaver has been able to maintain such a small scale? And is that what you wish to continue to preserve about their legacy? I think that, yes. And I think that, um, That it was a different time,
0: you know, back in, you know, 1980, you know, like land was a lot cheaper. Marjorie and Mariner are also the type of people that they um, live very, you know, they're simple, frugal people, you know, I think that um, it's pretty easy to get money to be able to buy equipment. Honestly, it's like, I mean, were fairly easy. And they were always very conscious of the amount of debt that they have and just never lived beyond their means. And so I think that they were really conscious of that. And for them, it was all a lifestyle thing. I mean, your two greatest expenses are your milk and your labor. And if you know, they've never hired anyone to be able to make the cheese. And so they just basically kept the cost really low. And I think the conversation of scale moving forward for us is one that we're just going to be having constantly because it's more expensive for us. Like everything just in general is going to be more expensive for us. And we're happy, we have to buy the farm and it's worth more now. And like they established a business with it, which is we need to pay them for that. So it will be a little bit different, but I'm, you know, we'll be wrestling with that. I think for the rest of our cheese making career of just like, what is the right size to be, to be able to maintain quality, to be able to remain farmstead, you know, um, there's a limit to that. Um, but I think that we, um, we have a vision for what we want it to be. And it's, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is because I could see my cheesemaking career and going into bigger and bigger companies and I was getting farther away from the vats. So I think the whole goal is to be able to be small enough so that we can be hands-on and, you know, be a part of the the production.
2: I'm just really interested um, with some, some of what you just mentioned, like the land values, the fact that you guys are going to be, you, you bought something, you didn't mm. build it from the ground up. I'm really interested... For kind of like you and Sue to contrast what you've had to do, uh, you know, with your succession planning and you're making sure that you're securing for a next generation. The Weaver ladies didn't they, they didn't do that intentionally. It kind of just came up that way. But I'm kind of I don't know. I'm kind of interested to hear some similarities and differences in those situations.
3: So, for us, you know, we were we were milking a certain amount of cows on this ground that we purchased um, in 1990, and the value of the ground then was really high. So, I can relate to, you know, you guys jumping off the cliff mm-hmm. to do this, because it's not like you're going to have multi-generational equity in land, and... Um, But the thing is, both of you have mad skills as cheesemakers and, you know, managing the cows and the land. I think you're going to be so successful. And we're undergoing this expansion because the next generation has come back. So we have made a huge capital investment on our farm, you know, for the future. And I think the timing for us was right because our grown sons, you know, are in their twenties. You know, this is going to be an investment in their lifetime. You know, they're responsible for it. And I feel like you know you're starting at about a little bit a little bit older, but at mm-hmm. the same ta- time, it's a, the timing is right because you you know you have the skills to do this. You, and it, I'm so glad you're going to be doing it for yourself.
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. It's um. I, I think it's it's. It's really exciting, and I'd also say too that um, it, the farm is a part of the Vermont Land Trust, and so it is uh, preserved land. Which um, I mean, while Marjorie and Mary I think couldn't have imagined having another person come in and make cheese, they definitely knew that they wanted that land to remain in agriculture, and so that in itself makes the property a lot you know less expensive for us, and um, which we definitely wouldn't be able to. Um, be able to buy the farm if it wasn't for that. I mean, land value is expensive in Vermont, especially close to Burlington. So um, I'd say that that's been really great. And also Vermont is just very supportive of Farming, value-added dairy, the resources that we have for just business support, just even just like emotional support throughout this whole entire process for the succession planning because it is like emotional. It's not just like, a, all right, this is the value of a business and this is how much it's going to cost. It's like just kind of like the warm and fuzzy
1: side of things has been really...
3: How many acres is the property? A hundred. Just
1: reiterate to our listeners how magical this transition is because it is just so rare in the cheese industry. I mean, a lot of us are bootstrapping, running small productions, small farms, making cheese with a regional distribution and hoping it'll all work out and doing it because we love the work, right? And because we're passionate about cheese and... We have a plan. (laughs) 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 and the way that it is at the intersection of so many food issues that we know and love. Um, The fact that this is an opportunity for you and your partner is beautiful, and the fact that this is an opportunity for these veterans of the trade is also incredible. I mean, it's a double win because... Now this legacy is being preserved and they have a way to pass on their 20 or 30 years of hard work. I don't know how long they've been.
0: Yeah, like 35. Yeah, four, yeah. So, yeah. wow.
1: I mean, even that just gives me goosebumps. Um, I'm also hooked because you mentioned a vision and I wonder if you're willing to share it with our listeners, even just a really high level view. Yeah, it sounds like you're dreaming about that.
0: Oh, of what's of what's going to happen at Orb Weaver? Oh, okay, are, uh, yeah. What are you What are you two going to do? <laughs> uh, I'm um, I'm I think after being in Cheddar for a long time, I'm interested in a challenge, and so I think I'm interested in you know fresher um uh small you know like fresh batches of cheese of just like i mean instant gratification i'm interested in um you know making cheese that is ready to eat a little sooner than cheddar so um but i'm also i mean i i like i've made a bunch of different types of cheese and i'm interested in exploring those a little more but i mean honestly for a little bit for cash flow too we do need to make fresh stuff and we're really lucky that in we are close to Burlington, close to Middlebury. And, um, the community is really supportive of, you know, small agriculture, small dairy farming. And so we have a lot of, um, uh, demand for these types of dairy products. But I mean, I would say that like, that's like the product side, but the, like the, the vision, the vision for the farm is to be able to, for, I mean, for, for Zach and I to be able to, you know, live and work together and, um, To be able to, you know, manage cows in the way that they, you know, should be, you know, managed and allowed to live. And I think also maintaining, like, the great relationship that we have with Marjorie and Mary. I think it's, there's a lot of times you just hang out with people your age. And I think that it's been really an amazing experience to, you know, become friends with people who are of a different generation.
1: There's a lot to learn there. There's a lot to
0: learn. To put things into perspective, too. It's just like, oh, my gosh, being in your millennial mind all the time. It's nice, just a nice, fresh breath of air every once in a while.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, Fra- freshness. Are you, uh, so do you have a pasteurizer there that you'll be able to make some fresh cheeses? So so we're
0: purchasing a small uh, pasteurizer. Okay. I'm really into like, just like, you know, the lean startup approach of just like small batch, um, you know, experimentation, try to make it as much as possible at the beginning, you know, um, and so, you know, trying not to say like, I'm going to make this type of cheese or that type of cheese, you know, going to farmer's markets and trying out a whole lot of different things to kind of see what works. And then, you know, to kind of, not assume that this is what people want. I think a lot of cheesemakers go into something and they're just like, I'm going to make this cheese and they get really attached to it. And then they don't even think about what consumers actually want. So just kind of thinking about trying out a bunch of different things at the beginning and then seeing how it goes. And like I said, I think just making as much as possible to kind of learn myself, you know, how to do these things um, and then learn and see what whether people will actually want more of it.
1: How many cows will you be milking in the winter, and what what breed are they?
0: Um, So we'll be milking eight, so it's very small, and they're jerseys and Holsteins, so we have six jerseys and two Holsteins.
1: And um, can you talk to us a little bit about, it's very unusual for a cheesemaker to be um, milking and making cheese in the winter season. Is that sort of schedule that you'll carry on? The seasonal their season will be backwards from Their season will be backwards from us because yeah. most cheesemakers are mi- mirroring the grazing season. So is that something you'll carry on? And, and can you talk to us about how that will inform the styles that you're making? Yeah.
0: So I mean, that was originally like what, or 11 years ago. That's like why I thought that that was like they did the greatest thing ever because like when do you want to be making cheese? And it's like not in like yeah. the heat of the summer. Um, it's so much
3: richer in the winter. Yeah.
0: And there's like there's more there's a uh, higher yield. I mean, honestly, from a cheesemaking standpoint, I love making winter milk cheese versus summer cheese. It's just so much more consistent. I mean, I just like the taste of it better. Um, As far as like whether we'll be able to maintain it for a while, I'm not quite sure. I mean, yeah, our off season is going to be like – August, September, October, which is definitely kind of strange. Um, I think that we are interested in maintaining some seasonality. I was in a, a workshop, actually, at ACS, and someone asked a cheesemaker, like, you seem really reflective. Like, why? how How are you able to kind of stand back from the farm and be able to look at, like, you know, the mountaintop view? And he said, "It was like, because I'm seasonal. And it gives me some time to basically, like, have some time to step back, leave the farm, and I come back refreshed. And so, um, I mean, we'll see whether the demands of, you know, the production schedule and like the types of cheese that we're making will change that. But, um, I mean, for me personally, I think that it's kind of nice just to send the cows out to pasture for a couple months.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. Um, I, I remember reading about this transition online and, you know, Marjorie and Marion, they, they worked really hard and they had to cut, like they adjusted their schedule because, because they were farming vegetables in the summertime. Like they were still working year round and I'm wondering if, as you all take the business, obviously you're gonna to have to be putting a lot of sweat equity in, and as a new business and young people, you're you're primed to work really hard, and as cheesemakers, because all the cheesemakers, I know, bust their asses all the time. Um, but are you thinking about how to help that work-life balance for yourselves? Like, how how is that gonna be maintained with, with new ownership.
0: Yeah. And that's, I'm not good at work-life balance. I've never been good at it. Um, and I know it's very, very important, but I've always, I've, I've been mostly known for like collecting a lot of jobs. Like I'll have like four different jobs at any given time. Um, and so that's definitely always been a real struggle for me. And I think will become, will be hard, especially in the future because we will need to work outside jobs, you know, both Zach and I. Um, but I think that we know we're, we're, the goal is that we have a plan, a business plan where we know that that's temporary and that this is a lifestyle farm that's the whole plan um and so i think that i have a really great partner and that he is able to help me kind of slow down and tell me when i need to stop and take a little rest but i do think it will be i think all of us have that challenge though it is really especially when you're really passionate about something i mean for me like my like hobby is like writing food safety plans so it's like i'd i think it might be better for me to have a hobby like I don't know knitting or like you know like yeah yeah reading books yeah <laughs> but it's like but it's like but unfortunately I just like to I've always liked to work and so I think that um I think that and like I said I think that that's a personality trait of a lot of people in this industry is that like um especially when you're really passionate about what you're doing it's just knowing when to just kind of stop and take a step back.
3: So um what I want to talk about is what do you see is the most valuable opportunities you can pr- provide your members in Vermont. I mean I've traveled to Vermont for some of your workshops because they weren't ex- we didn't have something we were offering in Pennsylvania. And I love the idea that hey, you know what? It's just a short drive. It's only 7 or 8 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I think um I mean one of the reasons why I really um ha- like, you know, g- creating and designing workshops for cheesemakers. A lot of it is just the community of people, too. So just making sure that we all have a space where we come together and just kind of talk about you know everything about cheesemaking. So that's just like, first off, like creating meeting spaces, spaces for cheesemakers to be able to get together. And then I also think in Vermont, there's a lot of cheesemakers that are really small scale. And so having workshops that are tailored towards our scale and our size, whether it's, you know, food safety or, you know, things about starter culture or quality. But I I am definitely one of those people like, of just like, I want continuous education. I want knowledge. I want to hear from the experts. I want to hear from my peers who are experts. And so um, I'm always scheming and trying to think of educational oh, yeah. opportunities. Yeah.
3: yeah. That's good. We're just going to keep sharing notes. Yes. Which yeah. is good. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that keeps you up at night? Because you seem pretty <laughs> darn confident. No. Um, I've
0: I'm trying to. I mean, yes, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I would say that, I mean, I think that we're all worried about the state of dairy. You know, it's like it's hard. Um, It's definitely something that um, I don't necessarily interact with on a day to day basis. But in Vermont, it's definitely on all of our minds. Um, And uh, so and how is that going to change for our, you know, it's like the infrastructure and agriculture in Vermont is. Um, based off of a dairy system and so what is that going to look like i think in 20 years from now we're going to have one giant dairy farm per county you know i mean already on one one side of us we have a a thousand head dairy and the other side we have a two thousand head dairy like right and we're right in between both of them you know so i think that that is um you
3: know like i said it's definitely something that we're all really worried about yeah yeah the dairy crisis is is keeps me up at night as well. Yeah. But you know, the one thing we can do effect is effect change in our own businesses and yeah. use milk. And, pr- and I think we're really great promoters of the industry because we're looking people in the eye every time we hand them a piece of cheese, mm. and reminding them that the raw ingredient is milk. Yeah. So gosh, it's been a pleasure to chat with you.
0: Well, same here. Like I said, again, I am the podcast's biggest fan. So <laughs> I'm so excited. So honored
3: to be a part of it oh my gosh we wouldn't I I love that you're.
2: (laughs) I have to say and this is totally just like patting ourselves on the back it's been really exciting to hear people like meet meet luminaries of the cheese world here at ACS and hear that they listen to the podcast like so if you listen like feel free to let us know and we hope we (laughs) see you soon because it really it really makes us feel good that someone is listening
1: and hopefully enjoying while they're you know getting into the VAT or driving exactly. to market. And uh and we wish you two the best of luck. We can't wait to hear about your
3: progress on the new farm. Maybe can we get is there any chance we could get cheese for our collective collective creamery cheese subscription? <laughs> yes, in
0: one year from now. Oh my God.
2: We're all gonna be counting down until <laughs> we can try this new amazing phase of what oh, we were cheese. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, Kate. Collective Creamery is Stephanie Angstadt, Sue Miller, and Alex Jones. Jordan Heil produced the podcast, and Mike Lorenz wrote our music. You can hear him on Thursday nights at the Tired Hands Brew Cafe in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can learn more and subscribe to our cheese subscription at collectivecreamery.com.